Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. Welcome back to the show where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about how to transform managers into leaders that everyone wants to work for. And I'm pleased to welcome Bob Wolverton, who is the author of the book, The Part of Leadership That No One Talks About. Hey, Bob, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Well, good morning, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for joining us today. I love this. We're going to transform managers into leaders that everyone wants to work for. So maybe we start the conversation by talking about who are the kinds of people that you don't want to work for? Well, that, you know, the statistics will show, you know, that the numbers behind the story here uh, will show that that is the vast majority of leaders in this country. You might remember back to 2015, there was a Gallup survey that was done. And they surveyed employees, and that survey revealed that 50% of the employees surveyed had quit a job due to a bad boss. Well, I mean, 50%, that's a huge indictment on leadership, and that's a huge expense to the organization. I've seen leaders that say, you know, it's just part of doing business. You know, people come, people go. Well, when you get into the numbers and you figure out that it is an extremely expensive cost to an organization, but I mean, we could do a completely different show on that. But here's an interesting part. So from 2015, when Gallup did that survey, 2019, four years later, another company did a survey of even more employees, like three times the data set. And that revealed that 57% of the employees surveyed had quit a bad boss. Now, that didn't surprise me too much because I'm thinking, you know, four years, it went up 7% from 50% to 57%. But what did surprise me a little bit out of that survey was that 14% of those had quit two bad bosses. They had quit two jobs because of a bad boss. So that's really started to get me rolling. But from that second survey in 2019, here's the part that I thought was really shocking. That in that same survey, another 32% of employees wanted to quit a bad boss, but had, so that's 89% combined. So when we talk about what kind of boss do they leave? Well, the vast majority of leaders, you know, that, that seems to be the problem. And so when we look at numbers like that, we've got to ask, well, why is it happening? Because no one gets up in the morning and goes to work intending to be a bad boss. But the problem is, is that there's no fast food drive through restaurant solution, that there's no one piece of information that people need to understand about leadership. Now, what I've learned over my decades of leadership experience and training is that I've come to realize that leadership's like a 100-piece jigsaw puzzle. And there's all of these little pieces that build that jigsaw puzzle. And, and you need all of those pieces. Well, but actually, here's the, the really good news. It's to build a jigsaw puzzle. You obviously don't need all of the pieces, you know, because you get to the point where you get enough pieces assembled that that leadership picture will start coming together. So even though you're missing some pieces and those are the areas that as a leader that you need to work on, you know, you can still start working towards becoming a good leader. And this is where, you know, personally, I kind of get annoyed with these social media memes where they go, oh, leadership is, and it's this one phrase and people, oh, that is so insightful. That's such great information. That's just one piece of the puzzle, you know, so don't get too excited about one piece of the puzzle, but put that into your toolbox. Now, there's an excellent place to start as a, as a leader. And that's where when these people leave, this 89% of people that want to quit a bad boss, well, when people either quit or they get terminated, I consider that a failed relationship. And you are 50% of all of your failed relationships. So as a leader, the first thing you need to do is step back and think, 
What's my culpability in this? What could I have done or should I have done to prevent this from occurring? How do I know where my policies and my procedures were they communicated effectively? Could I have done a better job of making sure the, the intent was communicated and understood on the other end? Is there a feedback loop to make sure that, you know, what I'm intending to communicate is being received the way that I intend it to be received? And even when I was working, I did a, a survey monkey for the people that I was responsible for and I had all these different leadership areas that I was basically requesting feedback from the people that I'm responsible for. And at this point in my career, I thought, you know, there's some places that I'm, I'm doing pretty well in and there's others that, yeah, missing jigsaw puzzle pieces that I still have to work on. But the survey told me in some places that I thought I was doing really well, my followers are going, no, <laughs> you need to work on this, Bob, you know. And then the other areas where I thought I was weak, they said, no, you're doing great in that area. So that having that full circle of communication is vitally important. So when as a leader, if you have the humility to step back for a second and whether an employee quits or an employee gets terminated, to look back and say, you know, what is my culpability? What could I have done or what should I have done? To me, that, that is the first component because you're, you're starting to take responsibility for that work environment. And that's where so often people get to the point where they get promoted. And I hear it all the time. They go, well, I'm in charge of this. And I'll ask them, so what do you do for this organization? Well, I'm in charge of research and development or I'm in charge of sales and so on. And what I've come to learn you're not really in charge. <laughs> you are responsible for many more things being promoted. And because I'll, I'll, I ask people, so let's, let's say you're responsible for a sales division. So you've got key performance indicators you're supposed to meet. So numbers that you're supposed to produce. And if you don't produce those numbers, if your division doesn't produce those numbers, who does your boss come to? They come to you. They're holding you accountable. They're holding you responsible because you're the leader of that division. So when you change your mindset, and you start to think that rather than so much being in charge, I'm responsible for the results of this organization. That really changes the way that you look at your role as a leader and the way that you look at your relationship with your followers or the people that they're assigned to you. You've already heard me say once or twice in this uh, discussion where I talked about the people that I was responsible for, because that's a paradigm shift. Rather than thinking, I'm in charge, thinking, I'm responsible for these people. And so what I like to do is I like to start off with three responsibilities that come with every promotion. And those responsibilities are, number one, you're responsible for the results of your unit. Now, when I say unit, I'll say, you know, whether you're a first-line supervisor, your unit would be your team, your squad, or however you define a new organization. If you're middle manager, your unit is your division, maybe multiple divisions. And if you're the CEO, your unit is the entire organization. So this responsibility of being responsible for results applies at every level of promotion. So that's when I say unit, however it applies to you, wherever you are in the organizational structure, your team, your division, your organization. So you're responsible for the outcomes and the results. But you're also responsible for the success of your unit. You're responsible for the people in your team and their success, making sure they've got the, the knowledge, skills, and ability to do their job. And then the third responsibility is you're responsible for the welfare of the unit. 
Do they have a safe working environment? Do they have the protective equipment that, that they need? Do they have the training they need to do their job safely? Is the workplace free of uh, harassment and, and other uh, workplace issues like that? So when you start looking at your role as not so much being in charge, you've been responsible for them, it changes the relationship with your people. So Dave, if I come to you and I'm like, Dave, I am responsible for your success. What do you need from me as your leader, as your boss to be successful? And at the same time, I'm, I'm monitoring your success to make sure that you are on the right path, that you're, that you're not deviating, you know, off of the path from success. You know, I talk about, I just saw it again uh, Monday night, on uh, Monday night football in the Seahawks. But I'm in the Seattle area. So the Seattle Seahawks are the uh, NFL team of my area and coach Pete Carroll fabulous football coach and I love him from a leadership standpoint because when one of his players either breaks through the line with the ball and they're running towards that goal line you know for that touchdown or the wide receiver catches that pass and they're running for that goal line as fast as they can who's running alongside them on the sideline coach Pete Carroll and he's cheering them on like go 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 because he's all about their success and he realizes that as the coach as the leader of the team he sets the mission he sets the plan but it's, he's responsible for the success of his players. And when they win in the post-game media event, he always gives credit to the players and the great performance they had. And when they lose, where does he turn the attention? He turns it on himself. He takes responsibility for that loss because he is responsible and he knows that. And so I think, you know, from a sports standpoint, that he's a great example of leadership in that role, in that way of taking responsibility for the, um, for the organization, in essence. So those are the three responsibilities, I say, as a leader. If you take on those three responsibilities, no matter where you are in the organization, and start focusing, I'm focused on results and outcomes because that provides guidance to your employees also and that's one of the things that people complain about you know we don't have any goals we don't have any objectives we don't have any leadership that we're not leading if you come into an organization particularly as a ceo this is most critical at the at the executive level and all you're doing is holding the wheel and never changing course just keeping the status quo it's not leadership you know, you could tie a rope to the wheel and accomplish the same sort of thing. You know, I remember in business school, they said there's two types of businesses. Those that are changing and those that are going out of business. So if you're not changing course, if you're not changing direction, if you're not providing guidance to the organization, you know, you're not you're not being a leader. You're just keeping the status quo. So, you know, when we talk about the types of leaders you want to be the like I say it's a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle but you've got to start with that idea of get that mindset out of your mind that you're in charge and change it to I'm responsible for and when you do that then you create trust within your work group and when your work group trusts you uh, you become so much better that's where when I did my survey monkey I already had developed that trust so I got good honest critical feedback and some things yeah that kind of hurt to hear but I needed to have that information and that's where humility and leadership comes in because so often we don't see enough humility in the workplace have you seen examples of that when when you uh, have been out and about Dave about lack of humility for sure <laughs> yeah and I know I've I've been there too is that I've worked for people and I've 
had, well, you know, and actually let's go back to the statistics. So the statistics show that what we're talking about, 89% of employees that want, uh, either have or want to quit a bad boss. Well, even if we just rounded that down to 80%. So in my career, I had a total of five CEOs that I worked for. Only one of them was somebody I would consider to be a really great leader. The other four were more of the status quo type. They were, they were nice people, great people. You absolutely love them, but they weren't leading the organization. So those statistics, that 80% rings so true with my personal experience. And so when we talk about, you know, what are the, uh, what type of leaders that the people are quitting, the statistics are telling it, it's the vast majority of us because the leadership books aren't giving us what we need. We need so much more uh, than what we're getting from that. Bob, we have to take a commercial break. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. You sit tight. You folks watching and listening, uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. You're looking pleased with yourself. Not to brag, but I just switched to Verizon. So you got an awesome network. And when I switched, I got to choose the phone I wanted for free, not bragging. You're bragging. Oh, he's bragging. Who, me? Never. Oh, excuse me. Hello, your royal highness, sir. Okay, that's a brag. Hey, mom. I gotta call you back. Switch and choose the phone you want, like the incredible iPhone 14 on us. On the network worth bragging about. Verizon. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking with Bob Wolverton about how to make uh, managers better leaders. And uh, Bob, I want to start off this, this second segment here by, by taking it top level. Let, let's, let's start with organizational culture, okay? So we, we are a, a product of the environment that we, we work in, that we live in, and admittedly, we're responsible for creating that environment. Talk about the impact of an organizational culture on leadership, please. Well, in my experience, the culture is set from the top of the organization. But what the greatest responsibility lies with your, particularly your first line supervisors, because the focus can tend to change if your, if your organizational uh, values say that we operate by the golden rule, we treat everybody with dignity and respect. But at the line level in the sales, they are focused on the numbers and they're focused on profitability. Well, sometimes those don't coincide. They certainly can coincide. But if they start putting profits ahead of the values of the organization, uh, that's where you need the first line supervisors to recognize these little deviations 
Because what happens in an organization is once there's a behavior that occurs, it's a little bit off course and it's just a slight deviation that could be corrected with just a slight rudder tap. But if the supervisor doesn't take the time to have a crucial conversation with an employee and correct that behavior, once that behavior is repeated, it becomes your new culture. And then down the road, you get another deviation. And so you start getting just in little increments, a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further off course until you have some sort of organizational disaster. And that's generally where an employee will get fired or you get sued or something like that. And that's where they'll say, oh, you know, good riddance, that person was a bad apple. Well, were they a bad apple when you hired them? <laughs> you know, you've got a hiring process, an interview process to, to screen that out. And so was it the culture that shifted? You know, you watch... Um, that tell, what's the television show, uh, Undercover Boss? How many times do you have the executive level go undercover down to the line level and realize the stuff that's going on down here isn't what we were expected. This isn't what we communicated. You know, they've gone completely off course. You know, so that's where earlier I was talking about having that feedback loop. You know, those are so important to maintain that culture because if you don't maintain the culture, if you don't do those little rudder taps, and like I say, where they are, are most applicable is from the first line supervisor to do those rudder taps to keep people on course. So your supervisors have to be brave enough to have these difficult conversations with people. And again, with that trust, because I'm help, trying to help you succeed and not go off course so we can maintain the culture of our organization. So that's that's a huge example of um, how things can go awry. And a lot of times the executive level doesn't even know it. I've been in organizations where the belief system at the executive level is one thing. And then when you go to the line level, like, oh, we don't believe that at all. You know, that's where the communication comes in. That's where your culture can fall apart. Yeah. And having those critical conversations or crucial conversations, as you call them, obviously makes a whole lot of sense here. But let's unpack that just a little bit and explore, I'll call it the the human motivation, if you will. What, what's the, the psychology around the motivation and how do you tie that all into your crucial conversation so that you get the outcome that you're looking for? Well, I mean, we can get into different levels of uh, theories of, of human motivation and there are uh, several different levels of that. But one of the things that we'll be talking about in that case would be needs theory. And what do people need out of their job? So normally, you know, when you're fresh out of college, you get your first job. Well, you're looking to put a roof over your head and, and put food on the table sort of thing. And so you're more interested in the paycheck. But once you get that lower level need fulfilled, now you're looking for higher level needs. You're looking uh, to belong to something and to contribute to something important. And so that's as we move up, that's where the where it drifts, it drifts into that intrinsic motivation that now I'm contributing to something meaningful. And that's what I love about the work that I do because it is meaningful. But if the focus starts turning towards profits rather than the meaningfulness or the safety or whatever it is of what your organization does. That's where it can go off track. And we've seen it in big business. We've seen it in little business. I mean, we can go back to, I think it was the early 1970s with the Ford Pinto case. And I can't remember the name of the gentleman who was a social activist. And he felt that his ethics could stand up to any corporate environment. But at the time, the Ford Motor Company with the CEO they had it. He was focused on profits and beating the Japanese auto market. And they shifted his mindset where when he got promoted for the recall uh, coordinator, that there was a recall that needed to happen uh, regarding the gas tank where it was mounted in, in the uh, Ford Pinto with rear end collisions and people were getting trapped and burning to death. And they did a cost benefit analysis and decided it was cheaper to let people burn to death. 
Well, that wasn't the values of the organization. They were focused on profits. And that's how. So this gentleman, they hired a great apple and felt that he could, his ethics could withstand any corporate pressure because of that organizational culture. He succumbed to that. And now, in hindsight, when he looks back, he goes, I can't believe I made that decision. But it was that corporate culture, was that barrel, in essence, a good apple spoiling in a rotten barrel. And so that's where I say these little increments, you know, that's where it's so important in the first line supervisors is to recognize, are we getting away from our values where your corporate value or your, your um, organizational culture begins to shift? Yeah, Bob, in, in leadership uh, parlance, there's been a lot discussed about things like vulnerability and empathy. And uh, empathy in particular, I, I've seen great studies that talk about uh, performance that's tied to empathetic leaders and how it, it's correlated directly. What are your thoughts on those two um, characteristics of leadership? Well, I have a, I have a, a little bit of a um, challenging history with that because when I first got promoted, when I was first in charge, um, I was very much a numbers person. And I was all about the numbers and so on like that. And I didn't have much of the interpersonal skill. And that's where I got the nickname initially in my leadership career, Robo Bob. Because I was all about the numbers, you know. So I had to change that. And so the empathy and the transparency, uh, it is vitally important to create trust. But here's the challenge that I have with that. While it is one of those puzzle pieces that you have to have. It's not the entire puzzle of leadership. You still have to provide the direction. You still have to have the controls within the organization. And that's where I see the fault is there's so much focus right now put on being vulnerable, being empathetic and so on. Yes, you have to do that, but that's not leadership in its entirety. There's still all these other things that you need to do. Like I said, I, I had bosses. They were great people. Talk about empathy. Oh my gosh. Empathetic, transparent, Absolutely great people. You would love to have them over dinner at any time, but they weren't leading the organization. And ultimately that led to their failure and they were ousted, you know, so vitally important transparency and empathy. That's how you build that trust, but you also have to do the other leadership components. So when I read, in fact, there is one of the best selling leadership books that I was reading and it said, leadership is empathy and transparency. And I didn't read any further. Because that is not leadership. That is a jigsaw puzzle piece of leadership. Yes, you have to have that. But that is not leadership in its entirety. So that's why I have a bit of a mixed relationship with that. Gotcha. Bob, for folks who are watching and listening and want to connect with you, what's the best way to get in touch? You know, the easiest way is to find me on LinkedIn. My name's Bob Wolverton. And there's two O's in Wolverton in the second name, W-O-O-L. Not two O's in the first name, two O's in the last name, <laughs> Bob Wolverton. Thank you for clarifying that, Bob. Uh, we're, we're getting down to the short strokes here, Bob, just a few minutes to go in the program. But I want to give you a chance to talk about the book, the part of leadership that no one wants to talk about. Uh, definitely want to know what inspired you to write it and tell the folks where we can get it. But I, I, underpinning all of that is I want to know what is that part of leadership that no one wants to talk about? Well, it's actually pretty much what we were just talking about. It's the opposite of that empathy and, and transparency. And that's what prompted me to write the book because of the four of the five leaders that I had that I say weren't as good as the one, the one that was really great, what he did that made him such a great leader is he provided direction. He had a vision of how we were going to change the organization, how the organization was going to be better in the future and how we were going to make that happen. The other four were just the status quo. They were focusing on the empathy and the transparency and all of the interpersonal relationship. Like I said, that's important, but if you do that alone, 
then you're not leading the organization. And that's the part of leadership that most of these leadership books don't talk about. They don't provide, they don't talk about having a vision for the organization, having a compelling, inspiring vision, an aspirational vision that people are inspired that I want, I want to contribute to that, contribute to that. And a lot of our top performing tech companies, yes, they have a really great vision, inspirational about how they're going to change the world in essence through the products that they're developing. And that's what inspires people to come to work. That's why they love their job. That's why they have more people applying than, than any of the other companies because they have that vision. And that's the part of leadership that most of the leadership books don't talk about. Got it. Bob, I'm going to give you about 90 seconds here to give you the last word, but uh, keep it brief, please. Uh, practical advice, tips, tricks, hacks, things that our audience can use today in developing their leadership and developing their team and helping to transform managers into leaders that everyone wants to work for? Well, I think the first thing that you can do today is, is what we talked about in the first half of, this, of the program today is change that paradigm shift that you're not so much in charge, but you're responsible for. You're responsible for results. You're responsible for the success of your people, and you're responsible for their welfare. And that will help create that trust and that transparency and that empathy among your people when they understand that that's your belief. When you go to them and I go, Dave, you know, I am responsible for your success. What do you need from me? You know, these are, we've got to meet these numbers. We've got to have these results or whatever. But, you know, I, let me help you do that. That's what I'm here for. And so when you have the humility to, to change that mindset, that's what's so important. And take the time to look in the mirror. You know, what's my culpability in this if I have failed relationships if, through separations or terminations? You know, what is my culpability? Because I've had, I've had people come through my classes, C-suite executives, and they go, you can't teach me, I already know everything. And I feel so sorry for that organization because you never know everything. You know, some, there's always somebody you'll meet that knows something you don't know and have the humility to recognize that you always have room for improvement. You never have all of the 100 jigsaw puzzle pieces. So keep working on that. Yep. It starts from within. It's an inside job. Bob, thanks so sure, much for good. joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Okay. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure to be here this morning. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you at home for watching and listening. We can't do the program without you. Please be sure to crush that subscribe button. Stay in touch with all that we're up to. New episodes are coming on a regular basis at this point now that we're back in our new studios. Again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. Please reach out to me. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and pretty much everywhere. Just Google me. That's all we have for today, folks. Thanks again for watching and listening. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers.